Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, media trainer and editor of veganbusinessmedia.com, the multimedia blog providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Maz Valcorza, owner of Sadhana Kitchen in Sydney, Australia. Maz studied nursing at university and then embarked on a high-flying corporate sales career in the pharmaceuticals industry, living a life of constant parties, chain-smoking and eating whatever she wanted without considering the repercussions of her actions. Stepping onto a yoga mat in 2010, initially with the intention of just toning her butt, (laughs) propelled her in a whole different direction towards mindful and purposeful living. Recognising that what we eat affects both our health and the world around us, Maz became an ethical vegan and adopted a plant-based foods diet. As she continued to research health, she discovered raw foods and in 2012 opened Sydney's first organic, raw, vegan whole foods cafe, Sadhana Kitchen, in the trendy inner west suburb of Newtown. Just a couple of weeks ago, Maz opened another Sadhana Kitchen outlet in Sydney's renowned Bondi Beach. Her new book, The Naked Vegan, what a fabulous title, has just been published, which features over 140 super delicious and healthy raw food recipes. An inspiring speaker and workshop presenter, Maz is also the director of the I Give a Shit Project, (laughs) I love that name, a non-profit organisation committed to improving the well-being of our planet and all its inhabitants by empowering people to find out what they really care about so they can do more of it. Maz is a lovely example of a young social entrepreneur whose mission is helping people to transform themselves and their world through what they put on their plates. In this interview, she discusses the importance of communicating exceptionally well with your staff through policies and procedures, how redefining what's important to you and how you spend your time is key to being a successful, happy and fulfilled entrepreneur rather than a burnt out one, how there's no space for ego when you're trying to do good work in the world, and that's a lesson I think a lot of businesses need to hear, and much more. Here's the interview with Maz Valcorza of Sadhana Kitchen. So the first question I always ask um, interviewees is, what are their drivers? What's your why and your reasons for running your business? I think for me, I initially thought that there was a gap in the market. I really wanted somewhere that, you know, people could easily access organic plant-based foods. And four years ago, there wasn't very many places. and That really was my driver. But that's shifted over time to, you know, whilst accessibility is still my number one, one of my number one drivers, um, really it's about kind of redefining people's relationship to food and helping people to understand that through this simple act that we all really need to do at least three times a day. Um, it's one of the most powerful ways we can reestablish our relationships with ourselves and our environment. So that's, that's lovely. I really like that. And I love the fact that you acknowledge that your your reasons or your why has shifted. And I think that's really important for, for people to know and realize that and to check in with, with that, because that really affects how you, you market and brand yourself and to not be afraid that your your reasons and your why might change. So I'm, I'm really glad that you shared that. Thank you. Um, and I understand that you, I know when I, we've been on a panel together and um, you actually had a very interesting previous career and a, a quite a, a change in your whole journey. I think you've worked in the the pharmaceutical industry is that right I wonder if yeah. you could share a little bit about how you came from that that kind of world to what you're doing now yeah well I actually found myself in the pharmaceutical sales and marketing kind of like arena from nursing so I was a nursing student and I focused mostly on forensic mental health um, but coming out of university I really wanted to do something different um, because of what I'd seen in the system, I felt like I was too young to really go deeply into that and have that be my life. And so pharmaceuticals was like quite attractive because you could travel and superficially it was something that anyone that was 20 would love to do, you know, if they wanted to explore the world and have the financial means to do it. And the shift from that area to <laughs> kind of running my own business, plant-based food business, was that I started practicing yoga. 
and through practicing yoga, I learned about the principle of ahimsa, which means nonviolence and Sanskrit, and that really resonated with me. And so, what I was doing as my job no longer resonated with how I wanted to engage with myself and the world, um, and it kind of necessitated you know, a, a really big shift in what I would put my time and energy into. And that's how I came across doing what I do now. That's fantastic. And again, that's really, I think, inspiring for people to hear that, you know, you can go, you know, you're not stuck in, in doing something just because you've initially chosen it. You know, you can uh, be a success as you have been, you know, in the, the four years that Sedan has been around. Um, you can go into something com- almost completely different. So that's fantastic. So on that sort of um, topic, um, what advice would you give to people who are employees and they want to make the jump to uh, in running their own business? What advice would you give them? Yeah, I would say definitely do your research, depending on what type of business you're trying to run. You want to make sure that you understand the market, understand what already exists. If there's something that's really brilliant, that's working within the space, learn from them. And then also really make a business plan. Like a lot of people are really impassioned to have amazing ideas, but those ideas might not be commercially executable or viable. And that's really important when you're running a business because you want to be able to have something that's sustainable into the future. Like to have a value value set that you live by is like obviously paramount, but the business is not going to be able to carry out its help, like its work in the world if it's not healthy. So mm. planning from the beginning and just setting yourself up for success is a really um, important step that I think a lot of people overlook in the excitement of kind of, you know, shifting <laughs> their lives and making a massive difference in the world. That's a really good point, actually. I think it's, it's particularly true probably for people who come from a creative background or even an activist background. You know, it's kind of like, great, I want to start this mission-based company. And like you say, they get really excited and they kind of like don't really take into account the, the hardcore kind of business stuff, um, which so I think that's really great that you said that. In terms of then, one of the challenges or one of the key challenges that a lot of um, vegan business owners or aspiring vegan business owners uh, talk about is, uh, you know, funding, getting funding, getting that capital into the business. What are some of the, uh, if you're happy to share that, what are some of the methods you used or what, what would you, have you found that works well or would you suggest for people to look at in terms of getting that funding going, getting that startup capital yeah. into the business? I mean, initially it was my own startup capital that I used from working within like you know, the pharmaceutical industry had quite a bit of savings. My partner at the time did as well. And so we were very lucky that, like, instead of, I don't know, doing a normal thing like getting a house, <laughs> we uh, <laughs> just put it straight into something that was in, we could have lost in a second if things didn't turn out the way that they did. Um, and so if, you, if you're lucky enough to have savings, then that's your capital. But if you're seeking external capital and you don't have it readily available, there are lots of, um, I guess, foundations and um and like investors that are looking for um really great ideas and are willing to put up the capital for it in exchange for equity um it just really depends on how you want to run your business because some of them are quite hands-on um and some of them don't want to be hands-on at all and they just kind of want to give you the capital and want you to return results so um it it's kind of it kind of just depends on what you're trying to do but you can also do things like crowdfunding as well. If you have an idea that you think a lot of people will just get on board and want to support, crowdfunding has been pretty effective for lots of other people. We've never really tried it, um, but it is something that that I know has has been successful for a lot of people with great ideas that don't have the initial funding. Yeah, that's right. And the beauty of crowdfunding is when it works well as well, it doesn't even have to be just when you're starting out a business. I know there's been a company in the UK, a shoe company that were already a few years in and they did a crowdfunder um, because one of their factories um, suddenly couldn't produce their product. So they did a crowdfunder and they by then they had, a, a you know, kind of loyal fans and they were only happy to, to chip in. So that, that is an interesting one. And that's a good point. As you say, you know, it's possible, you know, if you are working in the, the corporate industry or working as an employee, you know, wherever you can if you have got those savings to to invest those as well so what skills would you say Maz so you you come from the pharmaceutical industry sales and marketing what skills from your your previous jobs and career have been useful in running your own business yeah I guess I used to manage accounts um, in my in my previous role um, and kind of manage internal and external key stakeholders and that's really necessary in a business to be able to actually like 
when I say accounts, I mean like actual customers and clients that, you know, are your are your bread and butter. They, they provide you with a revenue stream and being able to understand how to kind of like launch a product into market and then to market that product within the market and um and also understand like what what um what the potential is for any variance or any competition or like what you have to do to evolve the product so that it remains relevant. Um those kinds of skills are something that were all part of my previous job. And so it was really easy to transfer them over into running my own business, into my own products that I, I now have, into managing my own stakeholders and also setting kind of like, you know, um, financial goals for myself and for the business. Because at the end of the day, like for it to be healthy, it needs to be able to reach target. It needs to be able to um, actually like generate a healthy revenue. Um, and all of yeah. those things are part of what I used to do. Fantastic. I think it's probably good for for people listening to this as well to be able to say, well, okay, you know, what is my background? You know, what have I done so far? And to, you know, because I think everybody's got some kind of skills um, that they can transfer over. So um, that's been that's been excellent. So, Matt, you mentioned financial goals and 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 funding and stuff. So a lot of the time with vegan food, and particularly more so if it's organic and raw, as as Sedana is, um, often the end product is, you know, it's a bit higher end than than other products. Um, how do you deal with the challenge to stay competitive and attract clients? Yeah, uh, that, that's a little bit of a difficult one, you know. It's especially because um, the price of food is not really the true price of food. So a lot of what the work that we do is education because people are used to being able to get like a cheeseburger and a drink and I don't know some chips for like four ninety five if it's if they go to like somewhere you know like a fast food chain and that's just normal you you expect to be able to walk into Woolies and just buy like meals for you know under ten dollars and then you come to places like Sardana and your mains are seventeen dollars um, starting point. And it's just kind of like we get a lot of people that say, you know, it's a little bit too expensive or like why does it cost this much? And so we always get our staff to educate people on our process and the price of our food and why it is that way. And it's because at every step of the way from ground to plate, we actually are very conscious and mindful about the choices that we make. We want to make sure that the farms that grow their food get their share and that the distributors get their share. And then when it's traveling to us, the people that take it to us get their fair share. And then when we prep the food, we want to pay our staff a living wage. Like a lot of people don't understand that when you're paying like nothing for something, then someone's losing. And so we just mm. need to kind of change that mentality out there where, you know, money is just another form of energy. It's like a currency for energy. And so if we kind of like are mindful about how we spend it and where we put it and where we get it from and how we make it, then it's it, it can be very, very positive in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I love that the fact that you're explaining why and it, it does come down to that education and people don't think about the like you said, the real true cost of food. What reactions do you get when you when you do you find when you explain that, you know, you sort of tell I guess the story behind the products and the brand and the process that people get it and they're they're more amenable to go, Okay, yeah, okay, I'm happy to pay more because yeah. I'm buying a really ethical product. Yeah, the majority of people do understand it and the majority of people get it. I guess for me, like, you know, often I'm at risk of taking it for granted because I've been living like this for a very long time. Like, I've redefined what's important to me and what I choose to spend my time, money and energy on. Um, and so for somebody that's still very much, like, hasn't thought about that for themselves, you could give them that information, but it might still take a little bit to land because... Like it's only when you actually start making these changes in your lifestyle, start reprioritizing, um, like the way that you engage with yourself and the world, so that it's in alignment with your values. Like once you start doing that, you start to feel the difference, and then it just kind of it's just something that you do. You know, like um, paying, like for example, like for me, I will never like food and travel is something that I'm always happy to invest in because it is an investment for me. Like they're, they are, they are like the two main things that kind of enliven me. And so once people kind of understand what that is for them in their lives, then they can probably get rid of a bunch of stuff they don't need. 
<laughs> you know, like, yeah. so it all comes out. It's not just that if you want to live well, then you just have to have this like untapped resource of income because everything's so expensive. It's like, no, like, what are you actually spending your money on? What's worth spending your money on? You'll find that you could still probably earn the same as you do now, but just reprioritize. That's such good advice. It's absolutely right. You hear so many people saying, oh, I can't afford that. But then, like you said, when you look at what they're actually spending their money on, and and a lot of people don't invest in themselves. Like I love what you said about, you know, for you, food and travel are investments. So they're not expenses. They're not costs. You know, you've reframed it really well as, you know, they're investments in yourself. So uh, I really love that you've you've pointed that out. Thank you. So what was summer when you were first starting out? Because Sadana's coming up to, is it four years? Is this your fourth year now? Yeah, it's um, next week, actually. Fantastic. Oh, you've got an anniversary. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what were some of your key challenges when you were first starting up the business, Ma? Um, I really had no idea what I was doing, so it's a pretty big challenge. <laughs> <laughs> like learning as I go and, you know, I did a few business courses and I'd worked in hospitality before, but really there are far more skilled people than me that are actually working in the business now. And if the business is well enough, that's something that you can eventually invest in in the future. But when I was first starting, it was just kind of making mistakes and learning from them, never really giving up on the fact that like there was there was something to grow into from that point, you know, where I didn't really understand um, how everything was going to work smoothly. And so it was just trial and error and not making big enough mistakes that it would be your undoing, but learning from all these mistakes that you did make so that you could have better policies and procedures. And that was the thing. It was like, you know, we needed to not just create a good product, but also something that was replicatable. That's something that like employees could step into and actually understand what's required of them. So for that, policies and procedures were basically paramount. Um, it actually took a long time to get them to get them kind of like standardized and consistent um like you know that's the only reason we've been open able to open another store because they were they were already in place yeah that's a really good point actually in fact one of the one of the people I've interviewed um, for the book was Sharon Gannon from Jivamukti in New York and she says you know people think you know she does yoga all day long and you know she's written lots of books but she said she's probably written more policy and procedural manuals than than she's written anything else because it is so important (laughs) so that's good to hear that even even the yogis (laughs) yeah exactly it's true because and I love what she said about it she said basically she does that because she actually want staff to be able to come in and not be fearful of doing something wrong so if everything is absolutely everything is documented it's really easy for them to understand and they can do their job well and so it's a kind of win-win so exactly it sounds like right. you yeah so you've done that as well that that's fantastic um, and how have the challenges changed over the years so as you've grown as a business your profile is raised um, you've moved out of your original location at Jivamukti actually in Sydney and uh, into Enmore and now again you, you're opening you opened another location in Bondi how have the challenges changed over the years as you've grown as a business and how have you adjusted to dealing with them yeah I think there are some things that get better with economy of scale so like you know your buying power improves and and then um because there are so many people consistently working towards the same thing like what do you mean sorry to interrupt you what do you mean by the when the economy of scale happens your buying power improves can you just expand on that yeah so it's just like you know going from a very small business like when we're actually purchasing items for our goods to create our goods like in the beginning you kind of pay a much more premium price because the volumes that you can afford to take are much lower but then as your um as your volume output increases and you can obviously buy in more product as well to create whatever it is that you need to. So for the ingredients that we source now across both stores makes it much easier for us to get a better price because of the volume that we have. Um, so that's something that is actually like a positive thing. But, you know, one of the biggest challenges, but also the most integral part of my business is staff. Um, my staff are wonderful and so, so like amazing I'm so lucky to be able to work with them every single day but like to be able to keep what is it now I think Sardiner across both stores is like about 30 staff um kind of happy and then also like in line with what we're trying to do and then also continuously willing to grow and shift with the business that's like no easy feat and so there gets to a point where like we've as the business has grown our staffing has 
has varied and changed because the needs of the business then require like different needs for the employees that work within it. And, you know, in the beginning, there were people that were willing to give it its time and energy for what it was. And as soon as it grew, they no longer wanted to like kind of be around that. And so for us with staffing, you've got to not take stuff personally, kind of like treat every individual very, very uniquely and well, but also understand that like, you know, as the needs of the business evolve, you need to honor those needs, but you also need to honor the individual. And sometimes the pairing is no longer suited and that's it. That's an opportunity for them to grow and for the business to grow as well. So oh, it's fantastic. hard when you touch good friends with everyone, but that's like the <laughs> biggest lessons that we've learned. Yeah, no, that's great. I was actually going to ask you about staff because particularly in the hospitality industry, I know a lot of people I've spoken to, it can be a kind of um, an, an industry where, you know, people don't necessarily stay a huge long time. Um, so I wondered what, what kind of, um, how do you go about finding and keeping then experienced and motivated staff? Uh, I think if you have a really strong values-driven business um, and then you also are backed with policies and procedures that empower your staff, then it's not too difficult to attract good staff. Um, you also need to make sure, though, that the staff are actually kind of a priority for your business. So for us, like our staff and our culture is one of the biggest things that take up my time personally. We have a lot of people in place already that manage operations and like because of the policies and procedures, you know, they really are empowered to run side in the kitchen without me. But I spend a lot of time and energy into maintaining like a positive working culture um, and like always sharing the values and kind of keeping everyone on the same page about why we do what we do. Um, right, right. Yeah. And so no, that's, that's really important. Yeah. yeah and so that's, that's like kind of like... Um, a, a key, a, a key thing for for me in terms of retaining and maintaining good staff. Absolutely, I suppose, and that's particularly important because you know, as I say, staff are your amb- ambassadors. So when you're not there, they're representing you. So I think it's always good to have people who, like you say, are on board with the values and and really kind of get it, so that they're representing your business in the way you want it represented. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Now let's look at uh, competition. So obviously, when you started out, you know, four years ago, um, I, I don't know if you were the very first um, raw vegan eatery in Sydney. Certainly, one of the first. Um, and now, you know, it's kind of starting to become a little bit more popular now how do you go about standing out both within and outside of the the vegan business arena um, and maintaining your clients and customers yeah I think it's like a process of constant innovation but also understanding what works well and keeping the classics and the favorites it's like a really the really interesting balance is that um, also sardinous food has always been a little bit like um geared towards being really accessible and familiar. So, you know, our stuff, we've got cheeseburgers and lasagnas, but like really healthy versions of them. And so we um, we, we strive to make it as familiar as possible. So whether you're plant-based or not, it's something that, you know, you can relate to from the beginning. And I think that that's always been Sardin's point of difference. It's accessibility um, to basically everyone. Despite the fact that, you know, it's a Sanskrit name that means conscious spiritual practice, people don't even really know that. Um, they just come to Sardin because of the food and because it's easy for them to kind of like absorb no matter what lifestyle they come from. Got it. Got it. Fantastic. Now, many marketing gurus say nowadays businesses should actually stop even thinking about having competition and instead embrace your competition as collaborators with whom to do joint ventures. What are your thoughts on that? And have you done any kind of such partnerships? Yeah, you know, I haven't actually done any, like, conscious partnerships with people as of yet, but it's definitely something that I'm open to in terms of, like, embracing your competition. I I think that that is so vital. Um, You know, we, we're kind of like a microcosm of of how, like, people can relate to each other. And if we're here and we're all trying to do the same thing, like big vegan businesses, for example, like we really do need to band together. Like one of my favorite, one of my favorite philosophies, I guess, is that like one candle burning alone in a room can, can light up a room, but together, like with our flames united, we can light up worlds. And why oh, would that's we lovely. Not? <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> you should so put that like, out as a quote and put that out as a meme. That's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always thought that. And so, like, you know, with, um, 
with all the businesses like Marco from Gigi's Pizza in Newtown he's like such a good friend of mine and Lorenzo who works there as well and then like there are the guys Joe and Grace from Zeitgeist Raw like and they also have two other places like Zeitgeist Milk Bar and Coffee in Bondi which is just around the corner from us like we all support each other like quite you know quite heavily (laughs) like we we eat there and we we enjoy each other's food because we understand that like we're growing something that is much greater than ourselves and you know yoga comes into it as well like there is no space for ego when you're trying to do good work in the world you just have to work together we're much stronger together than we are alone that's another lovely quote. You've got some fabulous sound bites there. I'm just going to point that out to people who are listening because, you know, obviously my background is media. So I always like to give little PR tips where I can. That was a really good example of you having a couple of really lovely, beautiful visual analogies because particularly for radio and stuff, you know, you really it's really good to be able to conjure up images in people's minds. And you you just did two very good examples of that there. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, so in terms of marketing and PR, what current marketing strategies do you use, Maz, and which do you find most effective and why? Yeah, we've always had PR, actually, from when we first launched because I come from a sales and marketing background. It was something that I knew was important. I understood the value of establishing a brand with people that I did not necessarily have any influence over. So when you're talking about the media, for example, it's like that's when PR is so is so vital because the way that your brand is perceived and received by the media is not always within your control but with good PR you're actually able to have an influence on that you're actually being able to like be engaged by the media and so that your brand is represented in the way that you intend it to be you're also getting out there more than you ordinarily would if you've got someone representing you um so when things become relevant in the media, like someone wants to know about healthy food, someone wants to know what, you know, what the latest movement is, or someone wants to know about what this celebrity is doing, it's like you're going to become the point of call if you actually have someone actively working for you and representing you in that space. So I've always had PR and I will continue to have PR. It's one of the most valuable things that we do for marketing. We don't advertise anywhere. Um, our only other kind of like source of um, advertisement is our social media following. So we think I think we've got like 19,000 on Facebook at the moment and like 70,000 on Instagram and wow. then our own databases. So we kind of like, we love social media because it gives us a direct touch point to our customers where we can engage with them like, like directly, you know, through without a filter and, um, and without a middle person. So that worked really well for us because people kind of like having a direct touch point to the business that they're interacting with. And then outside of that, with the media and kind of the way that veganism is being shaped in the greater community, that's something I'm really passionate about. So from the very beginning, I wanted Sardina to play a positive role in that, you know, to show that this type of food is really accessible and it's not that weird and anyone can do it and it is becoming popular and it will only become more popular and it can be like absorbed and integrated by anyone no matter what their lifestyle is currently like there is something that they can relate to with what we offer fantastic and what i really love about your on social media is you've actually got a really strong personal brand as well you know as someone who's the face of the business you know you're, you're out there on social media you're very friendly or approachable um, and i think that's really important for businesses i think that sometimes when i'm talking about this subject you know a lot of not not just vegan business owners but business owners in general they tend to kind of try and hide behind their company or their brand and you really can't do that nowadays and again you're a very great example of how to just be out there and that's so funny because like my natural inclination would be to hide behind the brand so if it was possible <laughs> for me I would like um, this has been a little bit of a whirlwind like becoming the face of Sardinelle was something I never really um, intended to do and then like with the books and with speaking it's just kind of inevitable but it's it's something that like I have a little bit of social anxiety a lot of people don't know that it's like not even a little bit I have quite a lot of social anxiety (laughs) so I don't actually like speaking is not something that I've ever feared I really enjoy it because I really enjoy kind of like sharing ideas and engaging with people no matter how many people it is like for me the more the better because I can really feel that energy exchange and that that is something I really enjoy but like everything else that comes with it where you know people kind of associate 
your brand with you or whatever their familiarization is, their idea of you with who you are when they meet you. Like I've always found that really, really difficult. Um, and I just want to kind of hide and it, like, it's kind of like, you know, <laughs> makes me really shy, but I just realized that over time it's vital. Like I've got work to do. And so I kind of need to like get over that and like, make sure that when people speak to me, they do feel comfortable and happy because what they're relating to is not just me as a person, but their ideas and like what they want to execute for themselves and how they want to relate to like their own health and well-being. And it's like, man, if I'm going to be weird about it, they're not going to have a good experience. So I just need to fix that and get, get positive. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic I really appreciate your honesty as well because I think that's going to be really helpful for people listening to this because sometimes you know as we, we go on social media and obviously as we know social media is kind of like you know it's very highly curated we all curate our own social media yes. and everyone kind of thinks oh someone's naturally happy always happy and successful and everything comes easy and what I really love about interviewing vegan business owners and entrepreneurs is people are willing to, to share you know and be honest and say look you know it's not all hunky-dory but you know you push through and, and you do what you've got to do so that that's fantastic so thank Thank you for sharing that. So your new book is out, The Naked Vegan, which I love the title. Absolutely love it. Brilliant title. And it features the most lush and delicious raw vegan recipes. And I know you've had great media coverage already. Lots of stores are carrying it. Now, having a book is obviously a fantastic way to position yourself as an expert and raise the profile of your brand. So tell us a little bit about how the book deal came about. Did you go to the publisher or did they come to you because you'd built up a social media following? Tell us a little bit about how it came about. I was actually really lucky like from one of the first months that we were open there was a really beautiful woman from Curtis Brown who is my book agent now um, her name is Grace and she came into the store she ate it and she was like look this food's going to be massive and you need to do a book and at that time <laughs> I just like laughed and I was like I'm sleeping on the floor of the yoga studio and I live in Narrabeen <laughs> and I make everything myself and I don't think I can do a book <laughs> it's just like just give me some time and um, but you know she was just kept in regular contact with me and just kind of never gave up and then it got to a point where my book was published in March this year but it was I probably wrote it like I finished writing the final copy of it in um, a April or May last year and I like before that you know it was like this strange process of kind of like finally listening to Grace and she was like I know that you're going to have every excuse in the world but you got to do it now like you have to <laughs> and I was like she's like you're always like one thing that she I will, that she said to me that I'll that will never leave me is she's like Maz you're always going to be busy there is always going to be things that you need to do before this so you're never going to do it so might as well just do it now <laughs> I was like oh, that's such brilliant advice yeah and I was like that's <laughs> so true like well, I don't know what I was waiting for I was like what waiting for like a free six months to pop up where I wouldn't have anything to do I was like that was pretty stupid um then I said okay of course like let's just do it and she's like you know half of the recipes are in your head anyway and so with a book agent you know that's really not everybody goes through a book agent. I did um, because I felt really supported. Like I'm quite time poor and I manage like now two businesses. I have other projects that are important to me too. So I actually really do need a team. Like my PR and management team, they help me keep my appointments and make sure I know what's going on. And similarly with my book agent, like people can do that themselves. People can create proposals, approach publishers and pitch. But for me, it was something I was never going to do because I never had time. And so I really needed somebody to kind of hold my hand and like be part of my team to do that. And so Curtis Brown through Grace did that for me and approached a bunch of publishers. And then in the end, we went with Murdoch because um, Murdoch is an amazing company. Corinne, who is like the kind of head um, person that I dealt with there, like she just got me. She came to the cafe. She got our philosophy, was able to kind of like relate to me as an individual and what my what, what my purpose was. You know, I wasn't just there to kind of like get people on a raw food diet so they could get skinny. Like it, that's like not what I'm about at all. And that's what a lot of um, a lot of books focusing on this type of eating are. They make it they make it a gimmick or they make it that's right something yeah. that's just like fleeting. And she understood that like I wanted to talk about real stuff. And in my book, they let me keep content like you know the paralysis of choice. And how difficult it is out there to inform yourself amidst like all of the marketing and all of the misinformation. And they let me talk about that. And I was like, man, if they're going to let me actually share my truth, then I'm going to go with them. So that's, that's how I actually got the Naked Vegan through a very persistent and beautiful book agent. 
Oh, that's lovely. I love hearing all the different ways that that things come about. Uh, so it's really good to hear that and to and to know. And even you know when we say, oh well, you know she was lucky, but you know you were actually out there doing it. Do you know what I mean? Like you said, you were sleeping on the floor of the yoga studio. You were putting every, absolutely everything into your business and and putting it out there. And I think you know sometimes when you do that, then you know you, you do attract opportunities simply by putting yourself having the courage to put yourself out there. So I, I really love that that's happened. So what benefits have you? I know it's been very early like your book like you say your book's only really just been released um but what benefits uh, have you seen to date since the book was released in yeah. terms of maybe i don't know brand awareness or uh, increased about, sales um it positioning yourself as an expert is pretty is pretty true like there are a few ways that you could do that in the community you can have like an established business which has helped for me like people um people to kind of validate my experiences you know like to, if I if I was going to be called to a panel or to speak it would be because I've successfully run two businesses that are plant-based for example um, but then on top of that having a book as well helps with more published articles for like your opinion to be um, to be asked for when it comes to plant-based foods or whatever is relevant to what what you've written about um, it, it does position you as like a, a leader and an expert in that field um, and I think with, and without that, it's kind of really difficult to establish yourself unless you've got like all these accolades and degrees in research anyway. So um, there, like for for me, what I've seen, there are two roads to this. It's like you work really hard and you and you get like books and like research or whatever under your belt, or you go on a reality TV show and people just magically know who you are and <laughs> trust <laughs> what you say. Like those are usually the people that I see that have become you know established. Got it. Well, I'm very glad that you've written The Naked Vegan. We'll put a link to that um, uh, on the show notes page because it's a, a gift that you, you're giving as well. And I think that's sometimes quite useful for people to know. They think, oh, my God, writing a book, or, you know, either I haven't got time or they're frightened or they think, oh, I can't do it. But when you kind of reframe it and say, well, actually, you're giving this amazing gift to the world, you know, and helping people to to embrace plant-based diet, which, of course, well, plant-based lifestyle, which is good, of course, for people, animals and planets. So very yeah. excited about The Naked Vegan. Now, talking of vegan, this is Again, it's a question I ask everybody because I get so many different answers in regards to the use of the word vegan in your marketing materials and your branding and the prominence of the word. There's two schools of thought. One, it's limiting, scares people away. And second, it's clever niche marketing. So let me get your take on that, Maz. What are your thoughts on this? And and tell us a little bit about your choice of how much or, you know, you use the word or not in your marketing. Yeah. So in our marketing, we actually don't use any any print materials or logos or anything like that, there isn't there isn't really a use of the word vegan. But however, like you did mention that like, you know, I've become the face of my brand and it's kind of like linked to Sardana and I'm very much vegan. And so that's a much more comfortable place for me to work from because as an individual I'm more empowered to speak about my personal experiences rather than on behalf of like a brand that serves everyone, you know, like I've always wanted Sardina to be as accessible as possible. It is vegan and I'm not shy about that, but I, because of the way that veganism has been kind of like perceived in society, it's not always super positive. And that's not, that's not to say that the movement itself is not, it, there just needs to be some work. I think that still needs to be done in redefining the way that veganism is engaged with on a greater scale in the media and by society in general. People still don't know where we get our purpose from. People still think that vegans are fanatical. People still think that vegans are gentlemen. You go to the party and you'll know who they are because they tell everyone. It's like, you know, those ridiculous <laughs> things where it's like that might have been true for a period and might still be true for some, but really this is a growing movement that's going to like it's rapidly growing it's continue to evolve more people are waking up and more people are connecting to themselves like that's really what the like the shift that's happening is like if you think about it like long enough and if you look at the right information it's basically going to happen so it's just a matter of time and so for us like we don't use the word vegan because of the negative connotations that he has had in the past like 
on a greater scale. But I myself, I use it because as an individual, I'm able to like in the way that I engage with people and in the way that I speak my truth, I can redefine what that word means um, if people have had negative influence, like um, negative experiences with that. Absolutely. And I think you're a fantastic ambassador for veganism because, you know, you are fun, you're friendly, you're approachable. And of course, you know, with calling your book The Naked Vegan, it's associating veganism with the most amazing, you know, delicious mouthwatering um, recipes. So I think that that's really, really fantastic. So final couple of questions, I guess we're around sort of mindset stuff. So a lot of business owners, and we've touched on this a little bit, say that, you know, running and owning a business is the fastest and most effective form of personal development because you're forced <laughs> to get out of your comfort zone. And <laughs> what, what qualities do you believe are essential to staying the course and running a successful business? Yeah. Um, wow, that's an awesome question. And it is certainly the fastest form of personal development because it shows you your darker self. It really, really does. You know, and the darkest times you could possibly ever come across. But also the, the greatest highs and like, you know, the best, the like the highest version of yourself that you could ever imagine. And I think for me, personal practices are a really important part of staying equanimous. Like, yoga meditation it brings me to a place of like like a reset place a, a neutral place where whatever is going on in the external world there are always going to be things that I don't agree with and can't control there are always going to be challenges but if I can keep my inner world quiet and equanimous and at rest then I'm able to navigate those challenges much more clearly and um, so, like, in terms of my mindset, you know, I, I always try to remain as equanimous as I can so I can see things clearly and navigate things as best as I can. And then the second part of, like, kind of having a business is understanding that, like, this isn't really about me. Like, as an individual, like, when you when you birth something and it's in the world and you see it functioning in the world, like, there is so much room for kind of, like, that ego to kind of just take over. And it is a nasty thing because it, it blinds you and, and you don't necessarily work towards what's really best for yourself and the business when when ego gets involved. So, for me, the way that I keep that constantly like in check is that I know that I am nothing without my staff. I know that I am nothing without the people that support and surround me every single day. They are sadhana. I'm not sadhana. So it's like I'm only as good as the people that are willing to put energy into this thing that even if I've birthed it, we now share and put into the world together. Mm, I love that. That's that's fantastic. Really, really great insights there. What have been the key lessons that you've learned through running your business now? So that could be personal things you learn about yourself or professional or both. Um, God, professionally, I guess that like, you know, um, you like really your staff are your greatest asset. Like I really do believe that you can have a good product and you can have, um, you can have a good offering, but once you grow, then like, the um you are only as good as your staff um and then also that like you need to also have clear boundaries as well for yourself so I do so many different things like this is a personal and a professional thing like it's my birthday yesterday for example and I really wanted to switch off and I was like wow I can't like I wanted to switch off my phone from 12 noon but all of these things happened yesterday and I ended up being on the phone until seven o'clock last night while I was at this like holiday house that I booked and, you know, obviously I'm on this interview today, which I like enjoy anyway, so it's all fine, but it's kind of like understanding what, what is it that I need so that I'm always at my best and being able to schedule in rest and having clear boundaries about when people can also like access my time and my energy because at the end of the day, like without me working at my optimum, then everything else also will suffer inevitably. I love that. I'm so glad that you share something like so many business owners, we kind of we go, go, go. And we, you know, it's particularly because, you know, it's for the cause. And, you know, you almost feel guilty about sometimes taking a rest. But it's so important because, you know, unless you are doing that self-care, uh, like you say, you're not at your best. So I love the way you've you've explained yeah. that. Well, it'll catch up to you eventually, like especially high performers. I'm surrounded by people that like thrive under pressure and can can perform very well despite like, you know, a lot of stresses, like I'm actually one of the people that perform well under stress, but like over time that does kill you. And then there's exactly. a difference between you lasting like forever or lasting like 10 years and burning out. Exactly, exactly. And then finally, Maz, what's your long-term vision for Sadhana and for yourself? Um, 
with Sadna, I actually wanted to open uh, in Melbourne next. So that's something that I'm looking at. And I've always wanted to go overseas with the brand as well because for me, it's just like a physical touch point that people can have access to this type of food. Um, it's one of the easiest ways. You know, you don't even have to say anything. People can just walk past, eat something, even if it's by accident, and then bam, they're already connected to a different way of being, which is really awesome. So that's really important to me. Um, and I want to keep spreading that as far as, and wide as I can take it. Um, would love to have more books out there too because there's a lot of things that still haven't been covered in the native, Naked Vegan even though it's awesome. And um, and then like personally there's a there's a project that I, is really close to my heart called the I Give a Shit Project that I've had to put on hold because <laughs> I was building Bondi. And um, it's just like I saw that on your Facebook. Well, what is that? Yeah, now that so, you've said the name, let's tell, tell us what it is. <laughs> yeah, the project is like an online platform that I'm creating with a few really amazing people um, to kind of help empower people with tools that will practically assist them to figure out what matters most to them so they can spend more time doing it. Because like our philosophy is that when people are in purpose and doing what they really love, then it's going to be better for them and it's going to be better for the world. And these tried and trusted practices, you know, like yoga and meditation and practicing gratitude and being kind, like they seem really simple. I'm sure anyone can do them, but there are like um, challenges that we can set people and also tools that we can provide them so that they can really cultivate and develop these practices within themselves and then like kind of really practice giving a shit. You know, it's like a different form of activism. Wonderful. Absolutely love that. I just love entrepreneurs such as yourself that are, are doing all these amazing things. Maz, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much, Katrina. So that was Maz Valcorza from Sadhana Kitchen. And you can find out more about Maz and Sadhana at sadhanakitchen.com. And you can find that link on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts. Now for our vegan business news roundup. As if there weren't enough good reasons to visit New York, here's another one. Vegan chocolate company Lagusta's Luscious has teamed up with bakery Sweet Maressa to open a vegan sweet store next month in the Lower East Side, reports Veg News. The name of the store is Confectionery and it'll feature items from both companies including Sweet Maressa's Macaroons and Baked Goods and Lagusta's Luscious Chocolate Bars, Barks and Truffles. So that's another one to put on my list on my next trip. And it's a great example of vegan businesses whose products complement each other collaborating to bring their wares to the masses. Vegan quick service restaurant Veggie Grill is expanding. The chain currently has 29 stores in California, Washington and Oregon. Now it's looking to move into urban areas in middle America, including major cities such as Dallas, Chicago, Denver, Atlanta, Miami and the District of Columbia, reports Nations Restaurant News. Greg Dollarhide, the company's chief energising officer, what a great job title, <laughs> said Veggie Grill had been forced to revitalise their menu offerings as consumer dining habits changed. According to Dollarhide, research found that more people are veering away from meat analogues towards what he calls veggie-positive food. As well as focusing on developing in urban areas, Veggie Grill is also exploring a downsized version of its eateries to operate at non-traditional licensed venues such as college campuses, healthcare facilities and airports. Now, what's notable about this, aside from the fact it's brilliant news, is how the company is constantly innovating and keeping up with latest trends. They acknowledged they had menu fatigue and they carried out research, you know, got in touch with their consumers and made the necessary moves to grow the business. And I think that's an important lesson for all vegan business owners. Be sure to stay on top of both industry trends and cultural trends and tweak your business offerings accordingly. Doomies Toronto is introducing the world's first selfie room. Now, you may remember from a previous episode of Vegan Business Talk that the new branch of Doomies is due to open soon and serve its renowned Big Macs. Now the company has launched this fun and quirky initiative where visitors can take photos of themselves in a room where the walls are covered in cartoons by Vegan Sidekick, reports Ikarazi. 
Now, if you don't know Vegan Sidekick, he's a great cartoonist in the UK with a massive social media following who debunks arguments for eating meat and abusing animals in a clever, fun and incisive way through his cartoons. So this is a smart PR move by Doomies Toronto in the lead up to the store's opening. As I've said in previous episodes of Vegan Business Talk, the media love firsts of any kind, and the more creative and interesting they are, the more likely you are to get coverage. A giant vegan cake has set a new world record. This is another smart and clever PR move, this time by a hotel in Germany. Essentis Bio Hotel Berlin celebrated its fifth anniversary last weekend and encouraged healthy eating by making the largest vegan cake in the world at the Revolution Raw Food Festival, reports Guinness World Records. The cake weighed a whopping 338.9 kilograms and measured 1.6 by 3.1 metres. Ingredients included 108 kilograms of pitted dates, 67.5 kilograms of mixed nuts and raisins, 81 kilograms of hazelnuts, 27 kilograms of coconut oil and 16.5 kilograms of cocoa powder. And all those ingredients were sourced from local producers. According to Guinness World Records, 31 people helped the hotel's kitchen to prepare the cake over a period of 26 hours. And the lucky visitors to the festival got to take away a piece of the record-breaking cake. So these two examples, the selfie room and the giant cake, are a good reminder for you as a vegan business owner to think creatively about what you can do to get the media's attention. Finally, you know veganism is growing in popularity when celebrities get on board with it. And this week, world number one men's singles tennis player Novak Djokovic held a pre-launch of his restaurant, which is vegan, in Monte Carlo. Fellow tennis stars Andy Murray, Thomas Burditch and Grigor Dimitriov attended the private opening of Equivita, which is set to open to the public in a few weeks. Serbian-born Dokovic described the project, which is a collaboration between him and his wife Yelena, as more than a restaurant. It's a story. It's a love story. Zanequivita came about as a result of the couple's passion for healthy food. Now, this is fantastic news. I know some people listening might think, oh, it's a bit elitist, you know, it's Monte Carlo. But we need vegan restaurants in places like Monaco where the rich and famous hang out because it helps to mainstream plant-based eating. It's a great way to convince influential high rollers who may not otherwise frequent vegan-run businesses to lend their support to other vegan ventures, whether it's spreading the word and remember the media hangs on everything celebrities say, or even investing in vegan businesses. So Dokovic is a champion in more ways than one, and let's hope Equivita is a huge success. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a review and a rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. I'm Katrina Fox from veganbusinessmedia.com and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode. Bye for now. 